0: Welcome back to another episode of a Cut Above the Rest. Today I'm joined with special guest Whitey, um, call sign Whitey. Today we'll be talking about the Balkan War, and I'm gonna have Whitey describe the Balkan War just so if you're a viewer who doesn't know much about it, you can
1: be informed. <clears throat> Excuse me, one over the world, the Balkan War was basically the splitting up. of the, the former Republic of Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia was uh, a country in the east of Europe, south and east of Europe. It was made up of many uh, many tribes, many ethnic groups, many politically oriented people of different political orientations. Lots, lots of flashpoints there. It was uh, ruled by a guy named uh, Tito, who was a basically a communist during the Second World but he was a unifying factor with the Yugoslavian people, meaning that the Serbs loved them, the Croats loved them, the Bosnians loved them. He had a way to unify people and to put aside their, their political differences and rally around him and his uh, desire to make Yugoslavia a standard. Of course, Joe Stalin had other plans. He wanted the Yugoslavia to come under the uh, Soviet Socialist Republic control, and he did a fairly good job. Tito told them, "Hey, we will fight you the way you fought the Germans." Stalin said, "Okay, I got it. We're going to back off a little bit." So of all those Soviet socialist republics, Yugoslavia was probably the most liberal, the most interactive with Europe and and all all parts of the world with its people. There was not such a restrictive, uh, "You can't go here unless you have special paperwork or special needs approved by the state." People were very happy with that. Europeans used to use Yugoslavia as a as a resort area because their money went a long way there, whether it was the Deutschmark, the Lira, the French franc, the English pound, the Spanish, you whatever know, the Spanish use the peso. A lot of people went there because they had nice facilities and they were inexpensive. And it was a very beautiful country. It still is a beautiful country, although it's not the Yugoslavian. Anyway, Tito ruled that. When he dropped out prior to him, Dying. He did not appoint somebody to take over. He didn't appoint a fellow. And uh, you had personalities from uh, that were Serbian, Croatian, Montenegrin, Slovenian, Slovakian, all different Bosnian, all different tribal systems that wanted to take over the country and that were represented by one or two individuals within the high echelon of the Yugoslavian. So there was some friction points there that started to kick off. And then uh, 92 I think is when some of the countries well they weren't countries yet but they were, they were provinces or regions that wanted to break away and, and self-identify. I believe Slovenia, of that stuff in front of me Slovenia was the first one to announce its departure from Yugoslavia. And that kind of started a trend where people wanted
0: to break away with their traditional
1: land that was associated with their culture or their tribe that caused further friction points with other areas uh, of the political field that wanted to dominate those areas for economic and political and other reasons they didn't want the breakup they wanted to control it because they thought if they break up into small pieces they get rolled over by who knows who their neighbor maybe so that that started the uh, the shooting and the shooting Basically, took place between the Serbs, the Croats, and the Bosnians. The Serbs had affiliations with the Russians and with Russia. and This goes back to predates World War One because they're Slavic. Okay? The Croats were aligned. Let me see. The Serbs were Orthodox religion. Orthodox. The Croats were Catholic. And they were aligned with Germany. And the Bosnians, of course, were Muslim, aligned with the Ottoman Empire from World War I, but they remained Muslim. And Tito managed to keep a lid on that, some of it through strong arm tactics, and some of it by just his his dynamic personality, his ability to sway people, to follow the rules, and spread the good wealth. But when this, uh, this went down, it was. Pretty, pretty vicious. I mean, there was a lot of old tribal hatreds. Came There's celebrations they, they follow the Republic of Serbs because they go back to 1082 1022. That whole period there, where the Ottomans came in, and uh, it's kind of like the Alamo. The Serbs got killed, but they they died valiantly. They 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 celebrate that day as a as a, as a holiday, and what all it does is just irritates. The and there's and there's all kinds of stuff like that going on different days different saints are, are venerated and a lot of it's just a poke in the eye to your next door so neighbor well this went on for a while and uh, it, it got really out of control and the way it was the way it went down was that the Serbs had an army but it was basically mechanized it was uh, tanks armored vehicles not so big on the infantry and they had artillery and the uh, croats had uh, Less tanks in infantry. They're probably more balanced, but they didn't have enough ass to kick the Serbs. And the, the Bosnians had no artillery, no tanks. They were just pretty much infantry. So they were pretty much a punching bag for both sides. But they were exploited along the way to, to leverage more land and, and whatnot, a better positioning for exploitation post war. Well, it got to the point where there was a lot of, uh, and, and, and trust me, all sides had blood on me. Serbs got a real, a real ass whipping the, in the media. You know, Bill Clinton's calling them this and that, and he bombed bridges, and he just, you know, pretty much dumped them. But the Croats were equally as bad. They, they just didn't get the publicity that the Serbs got. The Muslims, same shit. They just didn't get the publicity because they were under the radar the most part. But the Serbs, because they're, you know, they're in your face, you know, they got a lot of heat. Long story short, it's probably too late to make a long story short. But they ended up in camps that the UN said, "Hey, got the shit, we're going to come in there and we're going to settle it. we're going to put bring peace to this forcibly peace enforcement and that's going to happen and once we get all the parties at the table, and they sign what they call the date peace accords. And what that did was allow a group of individuals to work with the locals, all of them, all three of them, the, the main the main offenders, and organize who gets what, where? Historically, there were certain areas that were very much Serbian, there were certain areas that were very much Croatian, and certain areas that were very much Bosnian or Muslim. Well, it took a while to get these things signed. But prior to that, the first effort was to put UN people, you know, the un-people. They were pretty ineffective across the board. And What happened was that some of the UN forces on the ground were complicit in aiding the war. Aiding one side or the other. And what they wanted to do was weed that out, get those clowns out of there, put in a force that can maintain the peace, and then maybe when there is peace, they can come to an agreement on land. You know, who gets what. So that was the that was the plan. Pull the UN out of there, put NATO. But somewhere in there, they wanted to transition some of the UN units under NATO rules of engagement. And some of the uh, <laughs> some. The leaders of uh, the NATO folks said, I don't know if these folks could be trusted so, you know, my uh, team was deployed to Bosnia for the purpose of vetting the Malaysian battalion because we had, we've worked in Malaysia for years and years and you know, good relations with them. But when they came out of the UN they were, they were pretty corrupt you know, not so un anymore. they were pro. You know. there's plenty of documentation. Our job is to take this list of what needed to be wh- what they needed to have well as far as training goes you know, before they come under the U- the uh, NATO umbrella. And a lot of people were very dubious of their their training level, their skill level. The skill level had to be assessed and it had to be done in sometimes surreptitious ways. Cuddle went down there one day to check their motor pool and understand it's wintertime. You know, there's snowing around. It's cold. Cold on the edge oh, of an icebound pool. And, uh, and the Malaysians is not big on cold, so you don't see too many guys walking the perimeter at night in the snow. So the, a lot of the areas are very porous. You can get begin to and check. And we checked on these vehicles. And some vehicles we hadn't seen before. So we went in there to investigate. They were actually North Korean vehicles. And you can see where this is starting to get convoluted. What the hell are they doing with North Korean vehicles? But they had them. So we did some. Snapshots, some serial number stuff. And then we opened the engine compartments, and some of them didn't have engines in them. So now they got a motor pool full of vehicles, and half of them don't have engines. In so there, as a fighting force or a peace enforcing force, they, they, there, there is nothing they can do. They're a paper tiger So they were keeping this from the, the NATO people. Yeah, we're we're combat ready and you know, not by function. And then there was other things. They communicate in, in a certain fashion with their equipment, and is it compatible with our equipment? And is ammunition supply and all this stuff? So, we had a laundry list of shit we had to look at and, and confirm, and then send up the food chain and say, What do you want to do with these guys? So, that's how we started this mess. And then there's always mission creep somewhere, and then there's always conflict. We worked pretty well with the Brits, the Brits were pretty mobile. Kind of an exchange of information based on what they see because they were in areas that we weren't and you know, cross load information. And eventually you you index a whole bunch of facts, photographs, maps, you highlight stuff on maps, and then pretty soon you get a, a good overall view of what what did these guys bring to the table, if anything, that's what we were doing. There was also a lot of other missions going on. 10th group War crimes guys from from all sides. But they were basically focusing on the Serbs. My involvement with the Serbs was when it came to the land exchange. We got the three guys, to, you know, the Serbs, the Muslims, and the Croats together. Of course, who doesn't show up? The Croat doesn't show up because he doesn't make part of this stuff. He's not being in the same room with the Serbs. The Bosnians showed up, and of course, they don't have their, their mastermind layer. Where are the minefields, because the grounds changed hands half a dozen times. Where are your mines? I mean, civilians are going to be moving moving in here to build homes, and not, and they don't want to be stepping on any mines. Well, the only ones that brought the the mine mastermind layout was the uh, the Serbs, and they were always on time. They were always straight, always honest, very direct. We got this, and they were they didn't hide anything. The other two guys were either no shows or they were bullshitting me with something. And pretty soon. You know, I gravitated to one of the three sides there because doing business with them was a lot easier. They were very much honest people. Right? Were there assholes there? Of course, there was assholes everywhere. But were they the uh, big bad boogeyman that they were made out to be in the press? No, not, not by a law. So this later went on to other aspects of the war. You know, we got tasked with having to bring the uh, the Malaysian number two guy. In for some of these post and peace accord conferences, they iron out Malaysians didn't have they were they were this broken that they didn't have anybody to go up there and, and secure this guy and move him back. He's a Muslim move him through Croat territory he, was, he wasn't he wasn't welcomed up there very much, so we took on that mission to to pick him up from the airport. It was not in the Ko or Sarajevo was up in the split Croatia which is a nation. up there they were so embarrassed that uh, prior to leaving they were told we're gonna to go up there and receive him <laughs> the guy says no you can't have that that's a political slap in the face so he brought some guys with him so he brought his own security team with him and they, they didn't even want us to augment it so you can see there's little little friction points building up all over the place but they were just that screwed up they weren't the weren't man and the stuff so that opened up a lot of awareness of where they are as far as can they even meet these missions So French wanted a of there. French didn't want there there's three sectors. there was the American sector, British sector, French sector. we were in the French sector initially. eventually we shifted or they, they shifted around because the Brits wanted the Malaysians. Where the Brits were was in a different part of it, the country. but uh, They didn't want to take these guys on unless they met the, the criteria the half dozen you know, task list. So that, uh, that was a, a bit of a chore to get them up to speed on. Them. But it got to the point where now you see the French don't want them around. I mean, you're trying to move guys that don't have engines in their vehicles to another part. There's still the threat of the, the service taking this uh, as an insult and just rolling through these guys like a knife a through, a, a through butter. And then you got the politics of the French and the British. You know, the British want to take it on because they have holdings in Kuala Lumpur and they, they want to make sure they don't jeopardize that over this, this crap. You know, it got fairly, it was like juggling, it got fairly complicated from the simple mission of the checklist of these guys. Assess them and then move out to holy shit. You know, and then we got into war crimes guys. Yeah, that fell in our laps and inadvertently discovered a couple of those guys and started that. And more people come in because they want to take that over and you know, counterespionage guys. And oh my god, it was it was never a dull moment. I don't know if that is that more confusing or, or less confusing, but it was. Believe me, it was a full plate all the time. A lot of interesting things happened there, but. The bottom line was they were trying to put an end to a civil war involving three sides who had ancient hates towards each other and then trying to dole out terrain to the people who best deserved it so there wouldn't be further conflict, people feeling ripped them off, and then you know coming up with the uh, the ground truth about who's doing what. I'll tell you, every one of those leadership groups from each camp had blood on their hands. There was atrocities that thing i remember is going at the sarajevo landed at the end of the night there was no reception committee <laughs> so driving around trying to get out of the air, airport and there's a gunfight that breaks out you don't know who's shooting at who who is this <laughs> Are they shooting at this? i don't know if they're shooting at us and then uh, and going downtown and there's sporadic gunfire but the next day when we went out it, it was the first time i'd seen an industrialized city Hammered into the ground. I'd seen World War II films of Berlin and you know any any major city in Germany pounded, but to actually see it and you go in there, buildings still smoking, hotels with still fire, trams were look like cheese cutters, cheese graters rather. It was just it hits you that man, this is these guys are serious. They really hate each other. I don't know how this is going to get any better. Same thing went to Mostar, across this river, one side of the one side on the east side of the river, there's not a roof on a building. There's potholes everywhere there's bullet shrapnel marks everywhere. once you cross over this that A V L B set up to cross over we get into the westernmost area. Holy shit, there's, taxis are working, people are well dressed, no the shrapnel, there's on every building, no glass is broken, stores are fully stocked, <laughs> This taxi cabs. People were boozing up in the street. It was, you know, two different worlds. And that went on for four years, like these people. Kids were had to hunker down, from no school. I think COVID's bad. You know? Holy <laughs> oh, crap. But uh, I understand it's better now. What does that mean? I think it's relative. But, long story short, I went back there are years later and I saw some improvements. in that. Yeah.
0: different bag of Okay. So, If you could go into depth about when you were working with Spetsnaz and try to explain who Spetsnaz is for the viewers who may
1: not know who they are. Okay, I had an opportunity to go back to uh, Baizen Herzegovina to a different location up in Berchko, Uglovic. And that's uh, up close to the Serbian border. So there's a heavy Serbian influence. The Orthodox churches are there, a lot of nationalism there. And to keep the, the peace, so to speak, because there was a lot of, still a lot of dysfunction in that area. Still, those hatreds don't just ebb overnight. A lot of people were displaced, a lot of hurt feelings, a lot of um, hard to make money, blah, blah, blah. So we were, uh, my team was attached to, we were doing two falls. One of them I could talk about, one of them I can't, but we we're doing two, two separate missions. And one of them had to do with betting down with the uh, Russian Airborne uh, Battalion. It was a brigade, but it was a light brigade. But uh, within that was a spetsnaz unit, a couple teams. And my job was to link up with these guys and not get stuck with the uh, the airborne infantry guys doing a separate mission, but to kind of analyze what they're doing and observe how they interact and and just do an observation piece. And and I'm not sure they were doing the same to us. So uh, we would get missions to go out there. Those are gun running because goddamn there's a lot of guns floating around that country you know who didn't have an AK or three and there was other explosives and recoilless rifle stuff we did a couple of inventories in warehouses that were scheduled for monthly we did them, yeah, we did them maybe every 3 weeks a month inventory of the uh, these warehouses and these warehouses are built in in sides They're huge that elevated they had bloody tanks down there in the basement. It was, it was unbelievable. But they'd been working these things for years and years and years and years. They had cases and cases. So you do a spot check. You'd say, hey, let me see that one up there. It's the third one up. And two guys pull it down, open it, pop it open. And what are you looking at? You're looking at old Thompson submachine guns. Ah, what's in that case over there? count them. what's in that case over there? You know, DPMs. Oh, wow. Native man here. It, it was it was like that. Mortars over here, cordless rifles over here. It was just so much armor. The fear was that that stuff comes out of the caves and starts getting spread around, It's some of those hatreds is going to come to the surface and it's going to be just an ugly scene. So, their concern was how secure are these places? Are they being inventoried? Is the stuff disappearing? So, there's a lot of concern over the distribution or the loss of those weapons. So, We'd go there with the Russians because the, the Serbs respected the Russians, and through our association with them, they would they respect us. It was, very, it was very enlightening for me to actually spend time with the Russians. I used to eat with them three meals a day, party with them at night, and discuss stuff. And, and what was interesting for me about them is that they're very cultured. you know, they kind of depicted in movies as, you know, blockheads. But uh, if we go into this restaurant. And there was a piano in there. Colonel Borsakoff goes, lifts up the piano, he checks some of the keys to see if they even work. And he sits down, he starts playing classical music. Yeah, unbelievable. You know, I said, where do you find time to do that? I mean, the guys they were rotating in from Chechnya. <laughs> Not too many piano bars in Chechnya. But it was it was just amazing in their literacy level. The guys I was with were they're very well read on world events. They weren't these blockheads that Very very intelligent, and when we did missions, we had those a couple of houses we had to, to uh, roll. There was a couple of people, we were looking for, and they were just man, just a pleasure to work with. They just they flowed, you know. We had split teams, and we rolled with them, and they, they flowed. It was man, it was like a fine car driving a fine car. The missions, uh, as the longer we got there, they started to taper off because they were the imprint was there. People realized that. There are people here that don't hurt your feelings. And, you fuck up. and I think people were just tired of it. They had years of it, and now, now they had about a few years, about five years worth of peace, you know, four or five years worth of peace, yeah, they were uh, they were happy for that. They really were thankful for it. It's still open wounds. They lost loved ones, family members, friends, their businesses, all this other stuff that feeds on on hatred. But for the most part, they were ready for. The presence of the Spetsnaz and Spetsnaz for you that are not familiar with is the, the Russian Army Special Forces. They're very well trained, and rugged, they're a, a good people. drink Let me see, there's a couple of incidents there that were you know, like that. <laughs> when these guys talk, it, we'd roll up some guys, and when these guys talk to them, when I talked to them, they wouldn't say shit to me. And then the Russian guy would step in there, and as soon as he started talking, they, they would they would bleed all over the Okay, yeah, it's, it's over here. Here it is. It's buried under this. It's like, wow, oh, that's... I like your technique there. You didn't have to lay a hand on this guy. He's giving you everything but the kitchen. sink. Very effective. Very good people. Like And I, it depresses the hell out of me when I see that for the last four years of this bullshit, Putin controlling the, the Trump candidacy campaign. Couple of other events. There was uh, a guy who used to uh, see every day. He was an officer, a Russian officer. Nicest guy in the world. One day he invites us to, he invites me and in my Turk, who's an American, he's an Army guy, uh, to go see some of these uh, sites and around the area of Because, you know, you're in a compound and you doing hits or you're traveling around the area. It's it's very narrow frame yeah hey, we're going to go out there and look at these things the historical sites you want to come with us, yeah, because I don't know anything about this place, so we go out there. It turns out this guy was a an instructor in their academy in the military academy and not only that he was a history major best I could he's a professor history professor, so he knew a lot about these areas in the history, and that really means a lot when you when you start getting back to this information that you kind of get the feel of why the populace feels the way they do about certain days of the year certain situations you know it's uh, enlightening that way but in a conversation he said that, I said well, who, who do you who do you call I mean, do you need to, to report all this stuff You're, you know, the stuff going on here who gets the stuff and he says well Putin gets it. I said boy well, would you send reports of the guy and goes in on carrier pigeon well, goes, no I, I have phone calls with him every day the <laughs> You're the guy that talks to the man that's running a country every day because yeah, direct direct to him. So that's that was pretty interesting. That's business, you know. He's reporting what's going on there. So I realized that as much as I'm observing them, they're observing us. It makes you want to be a more proficient, better focused individual when you know you're being observed that way. It was interesting to me, to be in that situation. You well, know, someone gives a shit you Put a they put a smiley face on this there's all kinds of events that took place there. You may not find interesting. Some of the big ones were seeing a place in Sarajevo in, in smoke and just trashed, unbelievable. And people that do that, that are it's crazy, crazy, crazy. It's kind of like looking at the Minneapolis after the riots. Why would you want to burn your own city to the
0: So, what was it like working with Spetsnaz post-Cold War? um, And what was their opinions about being Spetsnaz uh, prior to the
1: Cold War ending and post-Cold War? Well, my experience with those guys was that there was some of them, you know, mostly the senior officers, the senior guys, the old guys, the guys that were part of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republic who are diehard communists but they're pragmatists they realize that okay we're not the uh the the 15th so- soviet socialist republics anymore we're russian and that fit okay with them because you know, last century they were russian and then they had that 70-year break with this other conglomerate But the- they were diehard communists and they'd lived their entire life these guys these particular officers as a under the communist rule in a communist lifestyle and uh they broke from the the royalty of uh, the Czars to the communist organized government and how they organized the country through that government, so they were pretty much died into that. The younger guys had been exposed to life outside of that, and they'd gotten to travel travel around a little bit. These guys were going uh, there was, they were on a rotation I think it was they were going from chechnya there was in another place they went to Chechnya, to Moscow, to to Bosnia. And I'm sure that's changed over the years to some other trouble spot. But they had uh, exposure to other other areas that uh, were they connected with the NATO forces, and not necessarily in a combative environment, but in a, in a kind of a peaceful environment. And they were, and it was just to me good people. And I mean, I know some of these guys for. Very short time, and, and it was just—it was like there were guys on my team. I, I just helped at home with them, and they're—they're they're funny as hell, funny as hell. And a lot of that humor comes from uh, kind of a stringent lifestyle, you know, where uh, they enjoy life when they can enjoy life, you know, because they're exposed. I mean, the Chechen stuff was off the map sheet, and uh, you know, a lot of guys didn't make it out of there. I and mean, then there was the Afghanistan. I ran mean, into two guys, mm-hmm. oddly enough, who were. In Afghanistan, and they're saying, Hey, why do you know? Don't go to that place, it's, it's loaded with morons. <laughs> like, okay, uh, I'll put that nugget aside. And uh, shit, you know, years later, I'm like, Man, that cat was right on the money. He had a bad wound in his leg, too. He's kind of limping around with that. This guidance was not going there, that's pointless. And you don't want to hear that when you're chopping. view the events of this week. There it is in a nutshell.
0: Pointless. If you were to rank the SpetsNaz compared to the other groups that you've worked with, like Spec Ops groups, how would you rank them compared to, you know, for example, Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, Delta Force, so on and so forth?
1: I would say that their their training is may not be as extensive as ours because of the amount of equipment we have to Become familiar with, or the assets that are available to us. But as far as you're on, you get out of the helicopter, you're on the ground. How do they function? The same, the exact same. They're as enthusiastic as as any uh, SF guy, uh, any any SEAL, any uh, force recon guy, any ranger. And they're and they're there for their buddies, you know. And that's real obvious to me. Real obvious to me. It's it's a universal. uh, It's a universal. State of mind, I think, with, with special operations units. You know, they push themselves. They train. Well, we used to train a lot. We used to do a lot of training. But we enjoyed a lot of training. It wasn't punishment. Some of the conventional units, you they look at training as some kind of purgatory, you know, and you know, really isn't. it isn't because the harder you train, the less you believe. But yeah, I have a high respect. Them.
0: And the final question, I would like you to just try to paint a picture of that entire war itself. Uh, include anything from graphic violence, so on and so forth. Because I feel as though a lot of viewers don't quite understand the horridness that war had.
1: Well, I, a couple of things come to mind there. Um, a couple of things come to mind. As far as the results of, of percolating hatred if you will there was a market in Sarajevo when we were there there because of the presence of the uh, NATO forces and some of the UN forces were still in place there were times of the day when people could get out and go to the market I mean it not it wasn't like going to your old favorite supermarket there and chowing down but people get the, get vegetables and you know, necessities of life and down there in Sarajevo there was a mortar round that came into the marketplace at the height of the market hour the height of the market hour was known by everybody you know it was kind of a it was an acknowledged ceasefire let you know these people are not slinging lead they're just trying to make soup you know let them go and that uh, killed some people. So we went down there to determine the point of origin. And for those of you infantry guys out there, you know how that's done. You know with the compass, and you look at the blast pattern, and bisect it, and shoot it back, and determine what what kind of round it is, and then what the range is. If it's cheese charge five, it's going to go a certain distance. If it's not, it's going to go here and there. And we determined that the origin was from a Muslim location because the Muslims held it. Now the Serbs aren't going to go in there and hang rounds, or the Croats aren't going to go in there and hang rounds. But people that got killed were were non-combatants. You know, a couple of old people, you know. a couple died, and some some were screwed up, a lot of frag in there. And, you know. and uh, later, when I went back the second time, I was working with the Russians, we had to go down to to Sarajevo to for some shit I don't know, some kind of administrative thing. What the Sotov had was, look, we got this we got a tour here. We can, cause that's how peaceful the place was at that time. We got this tour here. We're taking on a tour. And two of the guys that are on the tour, one's a, one's a Muslim and one's a, one's a Serb. I'm like, does there fistfights in the van or what, you know, what goes on there? And He said, no, man, but these guys have the inside and uh, they can explain things that you might not be aware of. I'm like, oh, I don't want to go on that. I definitely. That. So I asked them when they were there and they were there when we got there. And, uh, there's a, uh, a main drag through Sarajevo it runs basically east and west, and it uh, eventually becomes what they call M17, Motorway 17. takes you south and west. And I guess I didn't go too much farther east and Sarajevo, south and west. So the servo come up and he explained the gun positions. We had artillery here, artillery there. And I said, Where were your mortars? Because we didn't have mortars here. We had them back further because the artillery is taking care of all the stuff here. Okay. So then he goes to the van, smokes a cigarette, and Muslim comes out and they said, Hey, where were your guys? Well, they were here. I said, Oh, really? He says, Yeah. He said, Do uh, you guys have mortars? To- yeah, we had some mortars. I said, Okay. I said, That incident uh, for the market where all uh, those civilians got killed based on the mortar, was that you guys? Oh, no, that wasn't. I like, It had to be you. You just told me this is you own this territory here. So I got a little touchy, but that's they were willing to sacrifice their own people to blame the other guy. And there was a lot of that stuff There really was. It's almost like there was no standards for poor behavior. It was wide open. Again, to see that city in ruin no, it wasn't a total ruin, but it was and it was some battle damage to that stuff. it was subliminally depressing. You got depressed driving through the place because it is an industrialized nation and it reminds you of parts of your own country. It was just disappointing to, to know that this went off for four goddamn years before they put us down to and it was just a very strange unique experience for I me mean, because there was a little of everything little humanitarian stuff a little we getting smart on the other guys discovering things that, we had guys shooting at us one day and I, and I asked the, the, the Muslim I said hey we were down we traveled from this place to that place right along that route there and you guys were shooting us. So what was that about that nah, was <laughs> oh, okay there go there we settle that thing yeah it was it was some of those clowns but it was just indiscriminate you know they, I guess they didn't didn't recognize the American vehicles could have thought it was Serbian. it could have, could have been anything it could have been another uh, explanation for it, but the fact that it was just uh, whew, up in the air man you know, not the tight battle lines you would expect from a four-year uh, engagement unfortunately people are coming to the dinner table tonight. all three
0: groups. Awesome. Well, that shall conclude today's episode. Um, thank you, Whitey for coming on talking about the Balkan War. Uh, glad to have that discussion because a lot of people just don't know about it and I think more people should. Hopefully the viewers enjoyed this episode. Uh, hopefully I'll stay tuned for the next one who which should come out
1: fairly soon, hopefully a few days. But yeah, thank y'all for listening.